you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it at Luke chapter 9, and thank you, worship team, for uh, leading us in these wonderful uh, worship songs to get our heart prepared and ready uh, for the message of God's Word, and uh, that's why we're here this morning. We want to worship God, and we want to hear from God, and um, we, uh, we heard from God in 2023, but we want to hear from Him again in 2024, and I, I hope you're here this morning with that desire. Uh, last year, we had <clears throat> a theme of saying uh, we want to reach. We want to reach more in our Christian life. We want to reach more of our community. We want to uh, reach more in our personal life. And uh, by God's grace, uh, we will be looking later this month at what we were able to reach in 2023. But this year of 2024, God has laid on my heart to challenge us as a church in the area of disciple, in the area of disciple, to know that every person who puts their faith in the work of Jesus on the cross and knows him as their personal savior is called to be a disciple. Being a disciple is not just one of the options you can be as a Christian. Being a disciple is what you were saved to be. Being a disciple is what you were called to to be. But what is a disciple? You know, if you look up in Webster's Dictionary, you'll find that it defines disciple as one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. Someone that is sharing an idea, someone that is assisting and getting a message out. But when you begin to read the Bible and when you begin to see what Jesus says about being a disciple, you find that it's much more than that. Being a disciple is more than being a marketing manager. It's, it's more than being a walking billboard. It, it's so much deeper than that. The evangelist D.L. Moody uh, used to share a story about a painting he would talk about that was on display in London during his lifetime. And he said, from a distance, you would look at it and it looked like it was a monk that was on his knees, head bowed, hands clasped, that was praying. He said, but if you got closer to the painting, you would realize that the monk was not praying at all. In fact, he had a lemon in his hands and he was squeezing it into a bowl. And many times as Christians, discipleship has become just that idea. From a distance, it's one thing, but up close and personal, it's something totally different. The word disciple has been a word that has been thrown around and used so lightly in our day and age today. So many people call themselves a disciple or follower of Christ. They will say that they're a Christian. You can see that in politicians. You see it in celebrities. You see it in artists. And the question always comes to my mind, how do we know if that person truly is a disciple and follower of Jesus? How do we know and can it be known what a disciple is. Can it really be seen? Can it really be lived out? Or is that just a word that anyone can say and, and everyone can be? What truly does the Bible say is a disciple? Well, this morning in Luke chapter 9, which is our passage, we're going to study what Jesus had to say about being a disciple. And I pray that as we study God's word, as we hear the words of our Savior, we can be challenged in this year to live as a disciple. 
to truly bear the marks that a disciple would have in his life. Notice what the passage says in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is walking on his way uh, to Jerusalem and the crowds are following him and people are listening to his teaching. And, and notice what happens one day as he's walking and as he's teaching. It says in verse 57, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I believe in this passage, as Luke is sharing the experience of Jesus' ministry with those that would be reading this letter, he shares with us three marks of a true disciple. He shares how a disciple can be identified. He shares what Jesus taught about being his follower, about being his disciple. I want you to notice, first of all, if you're taking notes, that he talks about a sacrificial life. You see, we're told of a man in verse 57 that came to Jesus to volunteer to follow him anywhere. He said, Jesus, I'm going to follow whithersoever thou goest, wherever you're headed, whatever you do, hey, I'm going to be your follower. I'm going to be your disciple. Now, he possibly was sincere. He was probably moved by Jesus' teaching and ministry. I'm sure he was awestruck by the miracles of Jesus. I'm sure he was challenged by the preaching and the teaching of our Lord Jesus. Jesus had many times in front of his disciples prayed that there would be more laborers for the harvest. He had many times prayed that there would be those that would lift their eyes and see the need. And now here comes a man that is saying, I, I want to, I, I want to be one that will serve you. I want to be one uh, that will work in your kingdom and live for you. Yet the response that Jesus gives this man tells us a little bit of what this man was lacking from being a disciple. You see, the man never did make that decision to follow Jesus after Jesus' words. Now, on the surface, when you see what Jesus said, it almost doesn't even make sense. It almost sounds like, are you going to answer the question or not? The man says, I'm going to go wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Seems like a weird response. Why would Jesus tell this man that answer? I believe the reason that Jesus gave him this answer is because Jesus could see his heart. Jesus could see really what the man's desire and purpose was. Jesus could see what was behind that volunteering request of following him wherever he would go. Jesus understood that though he was saying the words and, and though he was inspired maybe by what he saw, 
He couldn't be a disciple because he was going to be lacking a sacrificial life. You see, this man had not considered what it means to be a disciple. Jesus' response was given to wake him up so that he understood, listen, following me isn't just all about uh, free food and, and some cool miracles and some cool experiences. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing. You see, the, the evidence of a disciple that is living a sacrificial life or a life of sacrifice, it is seen in the fact that they have considered what it means to be a disciple. They're not using that word lightly. They're not using that identifying characteristic so lightly as just to say, well, I'm a Christian. No, Jesus said, understand when you say that, what that means. Do you know the word considers used many times in the Bible? Jesus used it in the book of Matthew. Luke used it in the, in the book of Luke. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, he, he said, consider the lilies. That word consider is the Greek word katanoeo, uh, which means to learn thoroughly, to examine carefully, to consider well. Jesus told those that would follow him, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to consider some things. Uh, you need to understand it's more than, than just an easy life. It's more than just having everything go your way. In fact, you'll find that it's very different from that. Can I give you this morning really quickly three considerations to have if you're going to be a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus Christ? One of the considerations that you must consider is, number one, you will suffer as a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Apostle Paul wrote that to Timothy, one of uh, his uh, 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 pupils, one of those that was following him in ministry and that was learning. And, and he said, Timothy, if you're going to live for God and if you're truly going to live out what it means to be a disciple, you need to understand that it's going to cost you. You're going to have to suffer. He said, Timothy, are you ready to suffer? Because all that will live godly will suffer. A second consideration that we see in scriptures for the being a disciple is that you will be hated. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, Jesus was about to send his disciples out to do ministry there in Israel. And, and notice what he says. He says, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Jesus was letting his disciples know from the very beginning, if you're going to go out in this world and you're going to live for me and you're going to stand for truth, Understand you will be hated. You're not going to be hated because you're serving people. You're not going to be hated because you love people. He said you're going to be hated because of my name's sake. I don't know about you, but I've read plenty of articles in the last few years on different websites of people that feel that Christianity is the greatest threat to Americans. But I've examined it a little bit. I have found that wherever Christianity has gone in this world, good has come out. Even in our valley, you can go to Harlingen, there's a Valley Baptist Medical Center. You find that the, uh, the Christians of this world have gone and they've suffered, but they've suffered for doing right and for doing good. 
Many of them have given their life simply for following Jesus. Jesus said, just for my name's sake. It's, am- uh, it's amazing every other religion. They can, they can put up some sort of building and, and they're awed as, wow, look at that religion. Look all that they do. Some religions teach their followers to kill themselves and kill as many people with them as they can. And we're told to say, oh, be careful on what you say about that religion. It's a good religion. It's a peaceful religion. But if you examine it, you don't find peace. You don't find a relationship with a God. You, you, you find a, a fearful kind of life. You find a destructive kind of life. Jesus said, listen, people won't hate you because you forgive them. They'll hate you because you have my name. Because you're a disciple and a follower of my teaching. Consider that when saying I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Notice a third consideration that we are to have. And that is that we will be different. Later in his ministry, when he was alone with the 12 that stayed with him, those close 12 disciples, he said this to them, and you can read about it in John 17. He said, I have given them thy word. As he's praying to the Father, he said, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Being a disciple of Jesus means you're going to be different. It means the way you talk is going to be different. It means your purpose of life is going to be different. It means everything about you is going to be different. Jesus told this man, foxes have holes and birds have nests. Have you really considered what it means to follow me? You're saying, I'll go wherever you go, but do you know what that really means? And in the year 2024, When it seems like everyone calls himself a Christian, I wonder, do they really know what that means? Have they really considered what a disciple is and what a disciple does? Or is it just something to get some clicks or some likes? Is it something for social media to comment on? I believe that Jesus taught that a disciple that would follow him would have to be a disciple that has a sacrificed life. One who has considered. But secondly, I believe it's one that has also committed himself. You see, perhaps as this man heard Jesus' words, perhaps he understood. And then at that moment stopped to consider Perhaps when he heard Jesus say, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. Perhaps he did stop and think, what is this going to cost me? Perhaps he stopped and, and just meditated for a few seconds and, and realized, you know, this, this being a follower of Jesus isn't, isn't all I thought it was going to be. There's a lot more suffering in it. There's, there's a lot more hatred than I thought. There's a lot more change than I I'm willing, I think, to change. And at the end, after considering, he decided not to commit. We don't hear of him anymore. We're not given his name. We're not given the rest of what he accomplished in life. 
the scriptures are silent. Of a man who would be a disciple but lacked the commitment to be one. I believe as he pondered that commitment, I believe he could look around and see what that commitment looked like. Uh, He could very easily turned and seen Peter who was following Jesus and his brother Andrew who used to be fishermen and had a business. And when Jesus said, follow me, they left their nets and followed him. He could look around and see a man like Matthew Levi who was a tax collector. Very well off, very well uh, respected among the Roman Empire, very despised among the Jewish people, but very well respected with the uh, Romans as they collected taxes for them and they were very rich and very well off. When Jesus told him, follow me, he left the tables and followed him. I'm sure he could look at James and John, these two brothers that were with their dad as he was uh, getting their fishing business going. And when Jesus came one day and said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They had to leave their father. They had to leave that family and follow Jesus. I'm sure this man could look a man like Simon, who was a zealot. He was, in other words, a political activist. One who believed greatly in the Jewish cause. One who hated all there was to hate about the Roman Empire. And yet when Jesus came into his life, he had to leave those political movements because there was a greater calling in his life. I believe this man, as he considered, noticed that the commitment was great and decided not to follow. He understood that being a disciple is more than just talking, I will go anywhere you go. It's deeper than that. Kind of reminds me of that country preacher that was talking to one of his congregants and, and uh, his, his congregant was a really, um, really good farmer. He liked farming a lot and, and uh, was, was uh, one that had put his heart into, uh, into farming even, even though he, he wasn't uh, the most wealthiest of farmers, yet he was there and, and uh, the pastor thought he would, he would try to just see where his heart was at and and, um, and then he went to the, uh, uh, to the member, his name was Joe, and he said, Joe, uh, if you had 100 pigs, can I ask you something? Would you give God 25 of those pigs? And Joe looked at his pastor and he said, Pastor, I would. I would do that. And, he, uh, and the pastor said, okay, well, well Joe, let me, let me ask you something else. If, if you had 20 pigs, Joe, would you give five of those to God? And he thought about it and he said, you know what, Pastor? Yeah, I, th- I think I would. If God, if God asked for five pigs and I had 20 pigs, I, I, would, I would do it, absolutely. And the pastor said, okay, well, well, can I ask you just one more time, Joe, if, if you had two pigs and God asked for one, would you give him one pig? And he said, hey, hey, Pastor, cut that out. You know I only have two pigs. You know, it's really easy to talk, Right? When someone is hypothetically saying, would you give that when you do this? And and everybody can say, yeah, absolutely. But when it gets real, are you still a disciple? 
Well, when you're laying in a hospital bed, are you still a disciple? When your family's going through a rough patch, are you still a follower? Is your faith still there? When you lose your job and you're, and you're not really sure about the future, are you still a disciple? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests, Jesus said, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. He said, have you considered that? Do you know the commitment I'm asking for? This man lacked that commitment. What will stop you and me from being a disciple today in 2024? What will stop you and me from having a sacrificial life is the commitment that we have. To go all the way. Will you decide and say, yes, I will stay committed. I will follow through thick and thin. I wonder how many will not just sing, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but, but give me Jesus. Yeah, it's really easy to sing that song, but, but can you live it? We find that Jesus told that man that would volunteer to be a disciple, well, it means you're going to have to have a life of sacrifice. But notice, he wasn't the only man that came to be a disciple. In verse 28, it says in Jesus, I mean, in verse 59, I'm sorry, it says, and he said unto another, follow me. Now, this second man in our passage is a little bit different from the first man. The first man came and volunteered, but notice in verse 59 that Jesus went and called upon this second man. Jesus put a calling to him and said, follow me. I think about that, and I think about the honor that was and is. The honor of a king asking someone to be his servant. I'm not talking about the president of the United States asking you to be on his cabinet, though that would be a great honor. I'm not asking, a, and I'm not saying about a Roman emperor that would ask you to be the second in command if something were to happen to him. No, I'm speaking of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he comes to this man and he said, would you follow me? Would you serve my kingdom? What a great honor. And yet we see that this man declined. This man had an excuse of why he could not do that. Oh, he said with his lips, yes, yes, but first. But first, he declined because he had wrong priorities in his life. Can I say if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're not only going to have to have a sacrificed life, we're going to have to have a prioritized life. What I mean by that is that we're going to have to have a life where Jesus is our all. The right priority for a disciple is Jesus is first and foremost. Jesus in his teaching said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. This man told Jesus, man, I would, I would follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. 
It's interesting to think about and to note that when Jesus said, follow me, he was implying, let me be your all. His desire for the man was to make him the king of his life, simply to follow him. Not to put off till tomorrow following him, but follow him now. That, that verb, follow me, is an active verb. It was in the present tense, not in the future tense. In other words, follow me now. And this man says, well, let me go and bury my father first and then I'll follow you. The scholars have two different interpretations about what this excuse means. Some believe that perhaps this man's father hadn't died and so he was looking way into the future. Perhaps he was having his father live with him and, and he was telling Jesus, well, he's, he's not well, but uh, maybe any day now he might, he might uh, uh, finally pass away and when that happens and, and then I get to bury him, uh, then I'll follow you. Another interpretation is perhaps the man's father was already dead. But see, the Jewish ceremony was something like this. Once your, uh, your loved one died, they would bury you the next day. Obviously, they, they would wrap them and they would put them in a sepulcher or in a tomb, which was like a cave that they would cover. And then after a year, they would go back to that cave and then they would get the bones and then they would bury the bones in a place where their ancestors were actually buried. In either case, I don't know which one is the exact interpretation or what the context that this man was saying was, but in either case, this is what he was saying. Later, I'll follow you. Later, I can be your disciple, just not today. First, let me go and bury my father. He had a wrong priority, which is why Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, but thou go preach the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus was telling him to make him his all. When Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, he was talking about the spiritually dead. Let them bury the physically dead. In other words, there are some things that other people can do. There are some things that the world can do. Listen, I, I, I love that our church felt the, 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 the burden and, and, and had the desire to help children in, in Mexico that were, that were going to be celebrating Christmas, perhaps never getting a gift. And, and we filled boxes over here, back here, full of gifts to give to these children. And man, I'm so thankful for our heart like that. But you know, there's a lot of organizations that are head by people that aren't Christians that do that as well. I wish I could say it's only Baptists and, and only Christians that have uh, had, uh, donated and given hospitals, but there's been others that I've given hospitals to. Or others that do good works. What Jesus is trying to get this second man to understand is that being a disciple isn't about, well, I, I really like what you do, Jesus. I like when you give. Listen, I'll, I'll get the bread. And I can give it to people. I can set people uh, in, in packs of 50 or in groups of 100, and I can give them fish and bread. And Man, I, I'd love to do that. Jesus said, listen, being my disciple means making me the priority of your life. Making me, me all in your life. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27, 
the story of the calling of Matthew Levi is told. And it says, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me, the same words that he's telling this man. Follow me. And notice what Levi did. It says, and he left all, rose up and followed him. He left all behind and made Jesus his all. The only way that he could leave all is if he was following something else that was going to be his all. A prioritized life has Jesus as his all. A prioritized life can be seen in the choices that are made now. The implication of the man who was wanting to bury his father first is that he was delaying a decision. But Jesus wanted an immediate response. When he said, follow me, he wasn't saying, follow me next year. Follow me after. He was saying, follow me now. And I say, if we are to be disciples of Jesus today, we must act upon his calling now. It's too urgent of a time to put it off. Man, I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know where God has placed you. Maybe he's placed you in a workplace that doesn't have a lot of people that know Jesus. Can I remind you of the call to reach others? That call is for now, not for 10 years from now. The, the, the opportunity to share the gospel is now. We don't, we don't wait and say, well, maybe if Easter, maybe you'll come to church with me in Easter. Maybe, maybe, maybe in, in, in the next uh, May big event on Friend Day, maybe, maybe he'll come on Friend Day. Uh, can I tell you, we have no idea if he'll make it to Friend Day. They may not make it to Easter. That's why the calling of Jesus is a present calling. Follow me now. Not 10 years from now. Not two years from now. Not, not after the government changes. Not after society changes. Not, not after the church changes. It's serving now. The urgency of today. Now is time to serve. Now it is time to grow. Now it is time to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, now, now. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. I'm telling you, Christian, just watch the news and look what's going on. Jesus is coming soon. Now is the time to live a life with the right priorities. A life that makes Jesus your all, a life that says, now I will follow. At the end, when you get to verse number 60, we find a third man. It says, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go and bid them farewell which are at home. At my house. We see this third man declaring his intention to be a disciple and follow him. Yet we notice yet another excuse for not going with Jesus. 
His problem was not only a wrong priority where he's saying, but first, we see that he also had a wrong focus. You see, a disciple must have a focused life if he's going to be a follower of Jesus. This man's request was, let me first go and bid farewell to his friends and family. Yet Jesus answers, and he says this to the man. He says, no man, having put his hand to the plow, notice these three words, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The man was not ready to get his eyes off of this world's relationships. The man wanted to go back to his family, go back to his home. His focus was not on what is ahead, but rather on what is behind. And Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to have to look ahead because no man that puts his hand to the plow to following me can look back. This third man said, but first let me go back. Jesus said, my disciples don't go back. They don't look back. We look forward. You see, a focused life is evidenced and seen by what we live for. Jesus saw in this man someone who had a distracted mindset. He was looking back and at the same time wanted to go forward with Jesus. But you see, when you do that, all that results is crookedness and chaos. And Jesus said, as a disciple, you cannot. You see, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we must look forward and not back. A forward-looking disciple sees the needs that are around him and tries to meet those needs. A forward-looking disciple sees the crown ahead and strives for the mastery by serving the kingdom. A forward-looking disciple sees the joy that is before him. And endures the cross and the shame. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he's looking forward. Let me ask you something. What are you looking forward to today? What are you living for today? Jesus told his disciples when he was in Samaria. As he witnessed to this woman at the well that was. Quite a sinful woman. And yet when Jesus said, I can forgive you and I can give you living waters, she believed. And she went back into the city and she told all that she knew. They came out to learn and see of this Jesus that had forgiven her. This Jesus that had changed her life. And he tells his disciples, yet... Are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He told his, he told his disciples, look ahead. Look, look what's the needs that's out there. Look at your city. Look at those that are in need. The apostle Paul had a mindset of looking forward. He said in Philippians chapter 3, and that is, Though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brother, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. D.L. Moody used to say, 
It says there, one thing I do, not these 40 things I dabble in. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. A disciple is a forward-looking person. Not looking back at what this world has. We, we have told simply of Lot's wife as she was fleeing the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that she looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus said, once your hands are on the plow, you can't look back. You got to look forward. Jesus himself in his life looked forward. Hebrews chapter 12 says, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Jesus told those that would follow him, you want to be my disciple? You're going to have to have a focused life. You're going to have to look ahead and not behind. You're going to have to live for me and nothing else. You see, a focused life is seen in what you live for, but can I also say a focused life is seen in what you desire as well. This man did not follow Jesus because not only was he looking back, he just didn't desire Jesus more than what was behind him. The man's desire was for his friends and for his family. He still wanted to have fun and live that life with them more than living with Jesus. I think it's interesting to note that he was going to go back to where his family was at. This means that his family was not following Jesus. It means his family didn't have a desire to follow Jesus. It means his family didn't have a focus of saying, for me, Jesus is all. And you'll notice that the man didn't say, can I bring my family with me? He said, let me go back to them. He was made known what his intention was, what his priority was, what his desire was. If we're to be, to be disciples of Jesus, we must desire him above all else. We must love what he loves, live what he lived for, desire what he desires. That desire cannot be divided. You cannot love the world and love Jesus. John told those of his church, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Can I ask you, what is it that you desire today? What is it that you want? You know, the challenge this morning is simple. It's to be a disciple of Jesus. This means living a life where you've considered the cost and are willing to commit to Jesus. Being a disciple this morning means having a prioritized life. A life where Jesus is your all. A life 
where you decide to follow him now, today. Being a disciple means having a focused life, a life that is full of purpose, where you're living for Jesus and nothing else, where you're desiring him more than everything else in this world. The challenge is pretty clear. Will you be a follower? Will you be a disciple? The challenge is clear. But the choice, well, the choice is yours. I can tell you as the man standing before you in a pulpit that I have decided to be a disciple of Jesus. I will say like someone long ago by the name of Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In 2024, I pray that I can do that. I pray that my home can do that. I pray that our church will do that. Nathan Schaefer was a man who lived in the late 1800s. Very educated man, one that helped the state of Pennsylvania with their educational system. He also had, a, in all of his education, a doctorate in divinity. And he said this, and I love this quote. I put it in your notes. He said this. He said, at the close of life, the question will not be, how much have you gotten? But how much have you given? Not how much have you won, but how much have you done? Not how much have you saved, but how much have you sacrificed? It will be how much have you loved and served, not how much were you honored. And I tell you this morning, at the end of life, all we're going to have is the result of our choices. And this morning, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you, choose to be a disciple. Choose a life of sacrifice, a life of making God your priority, a life of staying focused on him. And see what God will do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. How it challenges us. How it sharpens us. Father, this morning, I've been challenged by you. I've been challenged by your words today. Father, I pray that as we think about this of being a disciple we would consider it well and carefully I pray that we would commit Father in this year of 2024 what our world needs more than anything is you but how can they hear there isn't no disciple to tell them. There's no disciple that will live it. There's no disciple that will truly follow you. Oh, I pray that today our hearts, our mindset, that everything about us would, would choose you above everything else. Father, may we follow you to the end.